Chapter Eight of Lisbeth Longfrock. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Lisbeth Longfrock by Hans Arnold, translated by Laura E. Paulson. Chapter Eight on Glory Peak. It was again high summer, and the sun shone bright on all the mountain tops. When one morning, an ear-splitting call played on three goat horns rang suddenly out from the enclosure belonging to Hurl Cedar. One call was thin and fine, the other two were heavier. The triple signal meant forward march. Lisbeth Longfrock, Ola, and Peter were going to take their trip to Glory Peak to see the spot that had been visited by the king. The boys now owned goat horns to blow on, and they were good ones too, for Lisbeth Longfrock had kept her word about Crookhorn's horns and had given one to each boy. After Crookhorn's running off with the herd of horses, things had not gone any better with that proud-minded goat. When she finally came home, late in the autumn, with the last of the horses, she was so conceited that there was no getting her to live in the barn with the other goats. They had to put her in the cow-house, but not even the cow-house was good enough for her after her summer experiences. Every time she got an opportunity, out she bounded, trotting over to the door of the stable, as if she belonged in there. The stable boy insisted that he had even heard her neigh. One day, when the men were feeding the horses, they saw her dash in, and with her usual self-important air, attempt to squeeze her way into the stall of the military horse. But that she should not have done. It was dark, and the military horse failed to see that it was only Crookhorn at his heels, so up went his hind legs, and out went a kick that landed plump on Crookhorn's cranium, and sent her flying against the stable wall. That was the last of Crookhorn. It cannot be said that any one, except perhaps Lisbeth Longfrock, sorrowed particularly over her, but Lisbeth could not help remembering that Crookhorn had given them milk for their coffee that winter up at Pierrot Castle. At any rate, if not much sorrowed for, the queer, ambitious creature was held in honourable esteem after her death. Such horns as hers Ola had never seen. Not only were they extremely large, but they gave out a peculiarly fine sound. Anyone would know at once that they were not the horns of an ordinary goat. There had always been something about Crookhorn that no one understood, Ola said. Yes, Peter had noticed that too. Afterward, when he had thought a little more on the subject, he said he believed that horses' horns would have exactly the same sound as those of this remarkable goat, if there were any horses with horns. On the day of the visit to Glory Peak, the goat horns, as musical instruments, were brand new, being used that day for the first time. In fact, the trip had been put off until they were ready. But new goat horns were not the only things the travellers were provided with. All three wore their best clothes, and each carried a lunch-bag full of food on his back, and a stout stick in his hand. The trip was so long that it would take a whole day. Once more they blew their horns, all three together. The animals looked up in surprise at the unusual volume of sound, and the milkmaid came to the cow-house door with a smiling face. Then off the party started. The flocks were mingled together to-day, and driven straight ahead. 
no time for them to graze by the wayside with Glory Peak lying so far away, blue against the sky. This excursion was a much longer one than Lisbeth had ever before taken, and even Orla and Peter had been to Glory Peak but once. It was drawing on toward dinner-time when they came to the last gentle ascent leading to the top of Glory Peak. There the juniper bushes and old women's switches, dwarf birch, grew so high that the animals were quite lost to sight amongst them. Lisbeth and the boys could only see the course of their charges by a wave-like movement that passed over the tops of the bushes and by the sticking up of a pair of horns here and there. Ola thought that this was a good place to leave the flocks for a time, while they themselves went on ahead. The animals were so tired and hungry that they would stay there quietly for an hour or so. Then, when rested, they would be sure to follow up to the peak, for a goat was never satisfied until it had mounted to the highest possible point, where it could look about in all directions. Ola's plan was assented to, and it proved to be a good one. Orla led Lisbeth and Peter round a curve toward the north. He wanted to show them exactly where the king and queen came up on the day of their visit. To be sure, they were not really king and queen that day, but they were on the very point of being. They were crown prince and crown princess. They had left their horses down on the mountainside where the road grew too steep for driving, and had walked the rest of the way. Oh, what a large company they had with them! The county magistrate, the district judge, and officers, so richly dressed that they could scarcely move. Seven or eight of the principal farmers of the district were also in the company, and first among them was Nordrum, Jacob's master, and the master of Hurl Farm, who was then living. These two wore queer old-fashioned swallow-tailed coats. All around, over the whole mountain-top, were crowds of other people gazing at the lively scene. "'The king looked wonderfully fine, didn't he?' asked Lisbeth. "'No, the county magistrate looked much finer, and so did the officers, and even the people who waited upon them. But it could easily be said that he was the king, for he was a head taller than any of the others.' "'The king must be tremendously strong,' said Peter. "'Strong, of course he is, and he must have use for every bit of his strength, too, "'for he has to govern all others.' "'Was the Queen also very large?' asked Lisbeth. "'No, she was not much larger than an ordinary woman. "'She was unusually earnest and modest-looking, father said. "'There was not so much fuss and feathers with her as with the other women-folk.' "'No,' said Peter, "'that old frump that my father drove laughed even at the magistrate, "'and found fault because his hands were too big.' Humph said Orla, "'that was a joke, as if a grown-up fellow should not have big fists. "'Anyhow, I don't see how she could have seen them, "'for the magistrate wore his white gloves, although it was high summer.' Orla resumed the part of showman. "'Next they came up over this way.' the whole company, close by that very stone there, and then the king ran on ahead of them. He wanted to be the first to reach the top, as one might know. And now I will show you exactly what he did. Follow me. I will be the king, and you, Lisbeth, may be the queen. Come along. Ola walked hastily over the last spur of ground, the others following. 
Then, running the last few steps, they found themselves suddenly on the very top of the mountain. Ola threw out his hand and stood a long time in silence. The others stood still also, involuntarily, impressed by the wonderful sight. Here and there, over the endless expanse of mountains, shone glistening lakes and mountain pools, and away off in the distance rose snow-clad peaks. On every open slope lay green satyrs, and towards the south, as far as the eye could reach, were beautiful farming districts and dark green forest-clad ridges. Orla, in his character of king, threw out his arms again. "'This is the most beautiful spot I have ever seen,' he cried. Then, after a short pause, "'Come, Sophie, and see.' Ola took Lisbeth's hand and drew her forward. "'Yes,' assented Peter, "'that is exactly the way the king did. "'I have heard about it, too.' "'Of course it was,' said Ola. "'Don't you think I know?' "'What else did he do?' asked Lisbeth. The king and queen then went round and spoke to all the other people, who began to take out long spy-glasses and gaze in all directions and ask the name of everything. The county magistrate, as the highest of the local officials, stood near the king and queen and pointed things out to them. "'See that group of distant white peaks,' said the magistrate, "'and there to the north is Snowcap, although I'm not sure that you can distinguish it. "'And that little black thing furthest away,' Ole pointed as the magistrate had done, "'is the highest peak in Norway.' "'After a while the company turned round, facing the south. "'When they saw the view in that direction, "'with the great shining lake lying so far away down there, "'and the forest stretching farther and farther in the distance, "'even the king himself was astonished. He thought that the forests must reach almost to Sweden. He had never seen a so vast an extent of forest at one view, king though he was. When they had finished looking at the surrounding landscape, Nordrum went to that patch of reindeer moss over there and gathered a whole handful of it. A good many of the people wondered, of course, what he was going to do with it. He went over to the king, showed it to him, and then said, "'Should you like to see the moss that we mixed with birch bark "'to make bread during the war?' "'The king took a piece and chewed it. "'Yes, there is bread lime in it,' he said. "'No one else had moved or spoken since Nordrum picked up the moss. "'They were so surprised. "'At last father heard one of the officers say, "'It's astonishing how tactless these farmers can be.' "'What is tactless?' asked Lisbeth. "'Oh, I don't know, but no doubt it is something pleasant, "'for the king clapped Nordrum on the shoulder and said, "'Thanks, my good man. "'We can all thank God that there are happier days in Norway now.' "'That was what I was thinking of when I showed you the moss,' said Nordrum. "'Then they took the king to the great heap of stones "'that was piled up as in a memorial of his visit, "'and asked him to scratch his name upon the stone slab beside it. And so he did, O.S., which stands for Oscar and Sophia. And then the number of the year, too. See, here it is. It was all cut into the slab afterwards, exactly as the king himself had scratched it. The three looked at the letters. Yes, indeed, that was beautiful writing, almost like print. 
How remarkably well the king must be able to write on paper when he could write like that on stone. Just then the animals came crowding up over the edge of the mountain top. They also went to the pile of stones and the big flat stones like a table that stood beside it. They began to lie down, for now, after eating, they wanted to rest. What else did the king and the others do? asked Lisbeth. There wasn't much more. Oh, yes, after the king had finished writing, he seemed to think that they needed something to eat. So he began singing to the magistrate a line from an old song that they all knew. The king had a good voice, and it rang out with a jolly zest. Oh, have you a drop in your bottle? Then they laughed, and came forward with a basket, and set the table on the stone here. And they had something to drink, and some little cakes, and after that they went away again. And now, concluded Orla, I think that we also need something to eat. Let us sit here at the king's table, and have our lunch too. They took their lunch-bags from their backs, and sat down on the big thick stone table, while the animals lay around them chewing the cud. When the bags were opened, many good things came out. There was butter and pork and pea-spread, and in Lisbeth's cream waffles beside. In each bag there was also a bottle of milk, except in Olo's, he had forgotten his. But that did not matter, for the others had plenty. They shared their food with each other, and when Olo wanted milk he merely sang, "'Oh, have you a drop in your bottle?' and he got rather more than his share, after all. They did not talk much at the beginning of the meal, for it was so good to get a chance to eat. But when they had eaten quite a while, and their jaws began to work more slowly, Peter said, as if he had been pondering upon it, "'I wonder what the king has to eat, for every day, I mean.' "'Loppered cream porridge all day long,' said Olo with conviction." "'Yes, but when he wants a little solid food, once in a while,' asked Lisbeth. "'Peter had just put a very delicious piece of pork on some pea-spread. "'He looked at it with real enjoyment before eating it. "'I'm sure that he has pork and pea-spread,' said he. "'Lisbeth took the last waffle and bit a piece off. "'Then she said, "'Yes, but the Queen, she certainly does not eat anything but cream waffles.' While they sat there on the stone, eating and talking, they saw a figure far off on the mountain. It was coming in the direction of Glory Peak. So unusual is it to meet another person up on the mountain that it gives one a strange feeling when it happens. Soon they could think of nothing except the stranger. "'It must be a man trying to find his horses,' said Olo. "'Yes, it must be, surely,' said Peter. "'But what farmer could be sending up for his horses now?' "'Let me see. It must be Nordrum. "'Yes, that is true. They have only old Blacken at home now, "'and they will have to begin their haymaking soon. "'Yes, but this man is going on a wild goose chase to-day. "'The Nordrum mare is over on the other side of our setter. "'I saw her a fortnight ago. "'If we set him right, he can find her to-morrow.' "'Yes, easily.' "'They sat and watched, for they knew it would be a long time before the figure could reach them. "'It is so strange to watch anyone coming toward you on the mountain. "'He walks and walks, and it can be seen from his motions that he is walking quickly, too. "'But he does not appear to get the least bit nearer. 
he continues to seem small and far away, and to increase very slowly in size, because the distances from point to point are so great. The animals had risen, and had begun to descend the peak in the direction of the satyr, but they concluded to lie down again and await the stranger's approach. At last he reached them. They had guessed right. He was walking about trying to find the Nordrum horses. The boys told him what they knew, and said that although he could not get them that day, he could the next day surely. When the question of the horses was settled, the man turned to Lisbeth. "'Isn't it you who are called Lisbeth Longfrock?' "'Yes,' answered Lisbeth. "'They do call me that.' "'Then I bring you a greeting from Jacob, your brother. "'I have a letter with me from him. "'He wants me to bring him an answer, "'but there is no hurry about it till to-morrow. "'I shall spend the night at Hurl Theta, "'whether I find the horses to-day or not. "'But now I must look around a little before evening comes. "'I want to be sure that the horses are not on this side of the Theta.' So off he went. Lisbeth was still sitting on the king's table. It was the first time she had ever received a letter. Indeed, even Ola and Peter had never received any. They were entirely overwhelmed with respectful surprise, and took their stand at a suitable distance. On the outside of the letter stood, Salve Tito, to the highly respected maiden, Lisbeth Jacob's daughter, Longfrock, at Hurl Setter on the West Mountain. At convenience, by messenger, post free. Lisbeth broke the seal solemnly and opened the letter. Then she read half aloud. Nordrum Setter, 15th of this month. Salva Tito. To the maiden Lisbeth Longfrock. Good sister. Since time and opportunity permit, I now take my pen in hand to write to you and tell you I have nothing to write about, except that it is a long time since I last saw you. But I have a spare day due to me from Hans. I took care of his animals for him when he went to his mother's burial. It was really two days, but I only reckoned it as one, because it was his mother. And now I will take that day from him on the next Sunday of this month. In case you have a day due to you from Peter or Ole, I write to ask if you cannot take it from them. But if you have not, you can take a day all the same, because I am stronger, but I did not mean anything by it when I gave Peter a thrashing last winter. So I wanted to write to you and ask if we could not meet at Pierout Castle, for I have not been there since... You are requested to come to the meeting in good season. Bring something to eat with you. With much regard, respectfully, Jacob Jacob's son, Nordrum Esquire. P.S. Please answer. That evening, Lisbeth Longfrock sat with her tongue thrust into one corner of her mouth and wrote her response. Hell's Sater, 17th of this month. To Bachelor Jacob Jacob's son, Nordrum. Good brother. I will now write a few words to you, and thank you for your welcome letter, which I have duly received. I am glad to see that you are in good health. The same can be said of me, except for toothache. But I will gladly come. The milkmaid says I may be away overnight, because it is too far. And so Ola and Peter can each have a day from me, for I have not had any day from them. 
They wrestle almost all the time, but Peter is nearly as strong. I must now close my poor letter to you, with many greetings from them. But first and foremost are you greeted by me, your affectionate sister, Lisbeth Jacob's daughter Longfrock. P.S. Excuse the writing. Burn this letter, dear. End of section 8